0: Thanks, Ken. Morning, church. Super good to see you all. Just taking a little inventory here. I see you. So good to see you. Glad you're here. If you join us online, I'm glad you can see us, but we can't see you. But glad you can join us this way. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning, as Ken was just reading, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, go and do that. If you don't own a Bible, we put Bibles under the seats um, around you, so feel free to grab one of those and take that home with you. It's our gift to you. I want you to have a copy of God's word um, quick announcement so we don't typically plan our church schedule around the Cowboys um, but as it works out um, after they handle the 49ers this afternoon they'll be playing next Sunday at two o'clock which means you can watch the Cowboys handle the Eagles and still make it to the all-member meeting at five <laughs> so it just worked out that way divine providence. Um, so make sure you mark your calendars, members, to be here next Sunday at five o'clock. Uh, we'll either celebrate together or we'll be sad together, or maybe a little both, who knows. Um, but that's a really important meeting to be at. This is one of our regular rhythm meetings where we get together as the members of Salt Rock Church. We take inventory on the goodness of God and what He's done um, in the last 12 months, and, uh, and then we talk about our plans for this year, what we, what we believe God is up to this year. We look at our finances, we look at the budget, Uh, We also give big updates, so right now, you know, we're without a few staff members. We'll be giving some staff uh, updates during that meeting, so hope you'll mark your calendar for 5 o'clock, be here next Sunday for the all-member meeting, and hopefully we will all come in proudly wearing our Cowboys jerseys, uh, excited about what's happening with them. All right, so uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we are um, on the third and final Sunday in a series where we're walking through our vision as a church. We revisit this every year. Uh, this year, we're really uh, looking at the, the why and the what more than the how. I'll address that in a few minutes. Um, some years, we focus more on the how to do this, and this year, we're focusing on why this is our mission and what our mission actually is. Um, so our, our mission as a church is to make disciples for Jesus um, through gathering together in worship, um, growing together in community, and then living the mission in our everyday lives okay so we're going to be really focused on what our mission is what is the ministry we've been called to as a church we know from visiting churches maybe you've seen different emphasis at different churches maybe a church has an emphasis around adoption and that's their mission and so we would definitely embrace that part of the mission say yeah that's important um, you may have been at a church where that focuses a lot on like foreign missions and we say yeah that's extremely important But when we boil it all down to like the irreducible minimum of what the church is supposed to be up to in the world, what is it? What is our mission? What is our ministry in the world? And 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to be looking at this uh, together today. Um, Our approach this year to why this matters and why this is our vision has really been twofold. One is we're looking at God's design. So we spent a lot of time in, in Genesis 1 and 2 last week. And so we're saying whatever God designed in the beginning that he called good um, is still the intent and purpose of whatever he designed. He didn't change his purposes just because of our sin and rebellion, just because we have distorted things through the fall. That doesn't change God's intent and purpose. So last week we said, hey, we were created to be image bearers. And so that's what Jesus is up to in us. He's renewing us as image bearers that you and I might get to experience Um, now a little bit of what it was like to be Adam and Eve before the fall while we wait for Christ's return where we will once again dwell in the garden in the presence of God fully renewed fully restored as image bearers like that hasn't changed in you and me and so then we look at God's design we've also looked at what Jesus died for so what was the purpose of the death of Jesus because that matters to God like he didn't accidentally get killed God sent him to to die on the cross and so for whatever reason God sent him we go well that matters to God so it should matter to us and so from both of those viewpoints we've been approaching our vision and, and asking the question what matters like what should we be about as a church what has God designed and what has Jesus died to restore and so now we're looking at the mission of the church actually going to start in John 3 16 um, super familiar passage but I want you to to just kind of hear it fresh verse 16 tells us what Jesus was up to in the world for God so loved the world so out of God's love for the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life of God's love for the world, he sends his son that would, whoever would believe in his son would have life, abundant life, eternal life. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we don't really have to look any further to ask what was Jesus up to? He came into the world. Of guy's love for the world, to die, not to condemn the world, but that through believing in him, the world might be saved. That's what Jesus was up to. So now we're going to step into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with this in mind, and I'm going to do my best. I told the 930 service, and I'll say it again, like there's so much in these few verses we're going to read together. There are a lot of sermons in here, and so I'm going to do my best to stick to one. Um, Just fair warning, though, there may be a soapbox or two along the way. So here we go. Um, Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was saved raised so this opening phrase is just a really important phrase and Paul words it this way he says it's the love of Christ that controls us and so just depending on what translation you're reading from um, that word will change a little bit Um, this this Greek word is is the word syneko it means to to constrain but it also means to compel so it's like the gas pedal and the brake pedal if you will That it's the love of God that moves us, or constrains us, holds us back, or directs us. It's the love. It's the love of Christ. Paul says it this way, that controls us. And then he moves into the gospel and says, Because we've concluded that this, that one man died for all, this is Jesus, has died for all therefore all have died it's kind of a play on words and this is where i could easily slip into another sermon just a quick explanation the idea is this that through the fall through our sin through our sin nature um, this that we are dead spiritually in the world and we need a supernatural movement inside of us to truly bring us to life the way god intended and the way he designed so we're walking and paul says in ephesians we're dead in our trespasses but this phrase, I think, is actually referring to a second death, a spiritual death, in a sense that when I come to Christ, I die to self. And I love the way it's worded here because sometimes when we teach dying to self, it's this idea that you no longer live, you no longer have personality, you no longer have joy, you no longer have anything in the world, but just death, so you die. And actually what's being expressed here is that, spiritually speaking, when we come to Christ, we die to our old selves, the corrupt self. And so, yes, Jesus has died for all, and all who are in Christ now have died. He's gonna talk in a minute about the new creation. So those who are in Christ, we have died to the old self, thank God. But we're not living in death, we're actually living in life. He says, like, those who live might not longer live for themselves, but now we live for whom? For him who for their sake, died and was raised and so now in Christ we live for him so this if you kind of book in that it's the love of Christ that compels us constrains us moves us so now we no longer live for ourselves but we live for him so whatever our mission is in the world it comes out of his love for us and listen church and not the other way around It is his love that compels us and moves us towards holiness, righteousness, obedience. Not the other way around. Not if you obey God enough, you'll finally earn his love. Like that's a backwards gospel. If I go to church enough, maybe God will show me favor. Maybe God will let me into heaven. If I I do enough for God, maybe he'll... Land me a new job or he'll do this nice thing for me. You see how backwards that is? It's the love of Christ that moves us and compels us to now live for him. So whatever living for him means, it comes out of his love for us. That's what moves us. Okay, it's the end of that sermon, moving forward. I would say this, those who have been saved are now moved by the love of Jesus to live for him. Now, verse 16, from now on, therefore. So because that's true, from now on, things are going to be different. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation the old has passed away that's the all have died the old has passed away and behold the new has come i want to start first with the statement about jesus that we once regarded him according to the flesh when jesus walked the earth for the most part humanity regarded him according to the flesh they saw him as a man they expected him to be flawed like us they kept expecting to trip him up and for him to say the wrong thing and for him to reveal his real motive as, as a cult leader. And so he was regarded, but after the resurrection, that's what Paul is saying, we don't, we don't regard him that way anymore. We now see him through a supernatural gospel lens. We know that he is, was fully man, but he's also fully God. So we see Jesus differently now. Listen, this is big time. And this changes the way we see one another. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, speaking specifically of those who are in Christ. For even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, say it with me, new creation. So the Greek word here, gnosko, means to either know something or to, another way to say it is to recognize so what Paul is saying is now that we're in Christ and all have died, the, the old is gone and now we're walking as new creations we, we, we notice one another we recognize something different about one another in the same way we no longer regard Jesus just according to the flesh we now no longer regard one another that way we actually see one another through the supernatural gospel lens, you are a new creation like that should change something right it should change the way we see one another the way we treat one another the way we regard know and recognize one another because we are moved by the love of jesus to now live for him the first thing he says this is we now know and recognize one another as a new creation this would revolutionize your marriage this truth um, Paul Tripp talks about it in, in one of his uh, marriage books about like how this works in the marriage that you no longer no, no longer regard one another according to the flesh but you now regard one another as a new creation you know what that like if I regard you as a new creation that I'm going to believe that you're for my good and I'm going to pay attention more to what's right in you and less with what's wrong with you and if I'll pay attention I'll notice there's actually more right with you now like I'm looking at you through the supernatural gospel lens you are a new creation. I'm no longer looking at you through the lens of condemnation because Romans 8.1 says what? There is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. So see how that could totally change our marriages and how it could change our relationships within the church? If I look at you and you look at me as a new creation, And we regard one another as such. I'm no longer looking at you through a critical lens, a skeptical lens, the fallen world lens, but I'm seeing you for who you now are in Christ. I gotta be honest that I spent historically a lot of years in the church, focused more on the flaws of others and the flaws of myself condemning myself and condemning others some of you maybe you're here today and it's like you don't even regard yourself as a new creation you notice more about what's wrong with you than what's right with you you don't even recognize yourself as a new creation but Paul's like hey do we believe the gospel if we do that changes things it changes the way we regard one another If you're a new creation, that should impact the way I see you, the way I treat you. Listen, this doesn't mean that we don't address things with one another. But there is a vast difference between coming alongside a brother or sister in Christ and helping them notice what God is doing in their life for the sake of transforming them and moving them towards holiness. There's a difference between that and condemning somebody there's a difference there's a difference between having a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ saying hey can I just share something with you can I give you some feedback this is what it's like to be on the other side of you and like I know you're in Christ and I'm in Christ and I want to share this with you and, I, and, I sh- and I'm, we're curious about it I'm like hey I don't know what's going on in your heart this is what I see and you, you're like hey well, thanks for pointing that out and like we can trust one another in that so you get to participate in what God is doing in me and I get to participate in what God is doing in you Okay, that's, that's still part of what it means to be in the church. But we do that through the supernatural lens of saying, hey, you're a new creation. I believe that. End of that sermon. Verse 18. And I love this. Paul's like, all of this is from God. New creation, regarding one another differently, being compelled and constrained by the love. All of this is from God. Like this isn't because of Paul, it's not because of this church, it's because of what God is up to. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God is actively doing two things in that verse. He's reconciling us to himself, and then he's giving something to us This Paul is referring to as the ministry of reconciliation. Now, the general idea here really applies to anything God is doing in your life, that what he does to you, he wants to do through you. So your life is meant to be a conduit. Now, there's a twisted version of that where we take ourselves out of the equation and we just want to be a part of like God helping others. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's like, no, no, you first are reconciled to God and what you have received from God, receive it, live out of it, be moved out of it, but then bend that out towards others. So a practical example. is like if you've been blessed financially by God, you can bend that out towards others by blessing them financially. But this applies to everything. If you've been forgiven by God, then you take that forgiveness, you receive it, and out of your, God's love for you, you then bend that forgiveness out to others. If you've received the grace of God abundantly, you receive that grace of God, and then you bend that out towards one another. So your life is meant to be a recipient of the goodness of God and a conduit through which God works to bless others. So we first have been reconciled through Christ and God has given us this same ministry. Whatever God has done in you, he wants to do through you. Okay? Well, let's talk for a minute about reconciliation because it shows up four times in this passage. The description of our mission as a church is, is it's called a ministry of reconciliation. And this word is got a lot packed into it Um, you, you can translate this word reconciliation but you can also translate it in a few other ways one would be to describe an exchange between two people we'll circle back around to implications here another way to define this word would be to restore to favor so if favor has been lost this word would describe being restored to favor It also can be used to describe the removal of hostility. If there's hostility between two people, when that hostility is removed, there's reconciliation. Another way it renders in English is to make things right with one another. And then I like this one, to reestablish proper friendship after it has been disrupted or broken re-establish proper friendship after that friendship has been lost or broken. This is so much bigger than can't we all just get along? Can't we just be nice? Can't we just agree to disagree? The word here means more than that. And for the Greek readers, when they read that word and they came across this word in the original text, it would have meant all that. So let's think about that. First of all, let's think about the exchange. You have first been reconciled to God. What's the exchange? What did you bring to that relationship? Well, the same thing I brought. You brought weakness, you brought sin, you brought brokenness. Jesus has taken that and he has given you something in exchange. And it'll actually be at the very end of this text today, but I'll go ahead and spoiler alert he gave you his righteousness. I'll take what's broken inside of you. I'll take what's dead inside of you. I'll take what's flawed and sinful inside of you. And I will give you something in exchange. And here's what I'm going to give you. My righteousness as a gift. That's the exchange. Now, as it relates, as we bend that out towards one another, what are we exchanging? Well, here's the thing. I can't give you righteousness. But here's what I can do. I can forgive you, which means I can cancel any debt that you owe me. If you hurt me, if you sin against me, I, I can do that. I can, I can remove that, and in exchange, you can do the same for me. That's what it looks like to forgive one another. To take what you owe me and what I owe you, and let's, let's just exchange that and say, you know what? I'm going to give you forgiveness instead. We'll come back to the restoration of favor. I want to land there because that one's just so powerful. But the removal of hostility. Ephesians 2, um, Paul is talking about the gospel and the implications of the gospel and how it connects us. And and he talks about how that Jesus, through his death on the cross, killed the hostility between us. So now the two can be made one. And so the idea that we've been reconciled first to God is that our hostility towards God has now been reconciled. It's been removed. So before you were in Christ, the Bible would say you're actually operating as an enemy of God. You're working against him. But through Christ, when that relationship is reconciled, the hostility is removed. Namely, your hostility towards God is removed. And then we begin to bend that out towards one another. You know what hostility feels like, right? You've you've been in that relationship. But if we experience reconciliation between two human beings, the hostility is removed. Anybody in the room not want that? I want that. I want relationships around me where I'm not having to like circumvent hostility or tiptoe around it or which all goes back to how we recognize one another, right? How I see you. So hostility has been removed. It means to make things right with one another. It means to reestablish proper friendship after it has been disrupted or broken. Again, this takes us back to the garden. That relationship that we had with God in the garden is reconciled through Christ. Where God shows up to do relationship with Adam and Eve, there's no hiding. Like That's restored in Christ. It's why we encourage you in Christ, spend time with God, show up with him, meet with him. This is the heart behind the quiet time. You now have God's presence. Spend time with him. Because what was ruptured has now been repaired. And here's the good news. We now also get to live that out with one another. I'm not close with everybody in the room, but I can see enough people in the room who I know well to know that I've experienced rupture, tension, brokenness, just with people in this room the good news of the gospel is that can be repaired think about this parents um, speaking recently with a set of parents who were looking back over whatever 15 years of being a parent and starting to like lament some things you ever do that you get right there at the finish line you're like oh crap okay I messed things up it's like here's the thing yeah you did mess some things some things up but here's the good news of the gospel the gospel comes with a way to repair to be a good parent is not that you've got everything right, but it's that you're willing to repair. You're willing to extend an invitation. Like I'm telling you, my boys are both getting an envelope when they leave my house. And that envelope is for them to sit down and write a letter of all the things that I may have done right or wrong and for them to have an open way to come talk with me. And, and here's the deal, I like I make light of this, I'm paying for the stamp. It's the least I can do. I know I haven't been a perfect parent, but I want to leave them with the invitation to repair that. Whatever has been ruptured, So that, we we experience that with God and then we bend that out towards one another and go, yeah, things aren't okay between us right now. But it can be. It can be repaired. Hostility can be removed. And then I think probably the most convicting part of this is that that English rendering of restored to favor. The um, best illustration I could think of for this would be embedded in the, um, the parable of the prodigal son which is how we know that parable it should be called the parable of the loving father it's actually about him we're the prodigal son and God's the good dad in that story but what we see in that story is so beautiful because the son is coming home not expecting favor he's just hoping to be a servant but immediately the dad restores him to the favor of being a son and that means something it said in the, in the last service, uh, my two sons were in the room, and I was looking around. There were other, like, teenagers in the room. I was like, hey, I, 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 I love your kids, but they're my favorite. And I'm not going not gonna to apologize for that. Like, I've coached both of my boys in football and baseball, and I've had to, like, be, you know, diplomatic and non-partial in those environments. But on the, in the truck, on the ride home, they're my favorite players on the team. They have my favor. So this word reconciles means to be restored to favor first with god listen to this then with one another there's so much more than agree to disagree you sit over there and play nice and i'll sit over here and play nice and like this is truly like engaging in a supernatural relationship i'm seeing you i'm recognizing you through the lens of the gospel as a new creation, I'm gonna regard you as such, and it would be a blessing to me if you regard me the same way. Doesn't that feel good? Don't you want other Christians to regard you that way? Or do you want them to regard you with everything that's wrong with you that hasn't yet been put back together? And so, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, removing hostility, repairing what had been ruptured, restoring to favor, reestablishing friendship and relationship, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If you're in Christ, God has trusted you with something. So many times in the church, we view the idea of mission and ministry as something that is withheld from the general population and just right, just given to the varsity Christians. You, you know the varsity Christians, right? Like the ones who just like when they get up on the stage and they talk, they have it all together. When you see them engage in like interpersonal relationships, you're like, I wish I could talk to people that way and just be that sure in my identity. And like, But we're all stuck on JV, the third string. If you're in Christ, listen to me, you have been reconciled to God and you've been given and trusted with something. And that's the ministry of reconciliation. And you're not just reconciling people to you, you're, you're part of God reconciling people to himself. Okay, this is, this is about to come up in the text. I want you to see this. Last week, we talked a little bit about, just briefly about this relationship that God has given us with him and with one another that both have been repaired through Christ. And we just briefly mentioned this idea, this concept that a lot of us had thought about. It's like, why can't it just be me and Jesus? Why do I need people? Because that seems like make things a lot harder and mess things up. And it's like, hey, listen, God doesn't need you to do something in my life. Yet by design, he designed me to need you. Not because there's anything insufficient in him, but because according to his design, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. It was just by his design, Human beings need one another. Okay, now apply that to the mission. God does not need you to reconcile the world to himself. Yet he's entrusted that to you by his choice. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to save people. Yet, you are his plan A. Look at what he says next. Therefore, We, those of us who are in Christ, the church are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to the world through you. That's his plan. It wasn't like he had another plan and then he saw some human beings doing a good job and going, you know what? I think I could use some of you guys on my team Paul you're really good at teaching why don't you come join team Jesus and you'll help me get this word out God wasn't impressed with Paul Paul was a hostile enemy towards God God chose Paul as an ambassador and God has chosen you and he is making his appeal to the world through us So look at what Paul says. So we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. You first. This is the airplane illustration. You've got to put your oxygen mask on first. I know you want to save the kids sitting next to you, but you'll be no good for them if you first have not received the life-giving oxygen that comes from the, the mask. You first Then what God does for you, he wants you to now turn and do that for somebody else. We implore you on behalf of Christ, first you be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, listen to this, so that in him we might become. Here comes the exchange, the righteousness of God. God the Father sent his son. To become sin. To take on our sin. To become sin. To become the one to bear the weight of our sin. To become the one to die for our sin. So that in exchange, we might become a new creation. Created in the likeness of God in true righteousness. If you're in Christ, that was given to you as a gift. righteousness of christ and with that came this entrusted ministry god's saying to you i love you and i want you and you have my favor and you're restored our relationships right now i want you to help me do this for others some of you will go to africa some of you will go to china some of you will go to starbucks some of you will go to work tomorrow some of you will do this in your own home you're my only plan you're plan A. I don't need you, but I chose you. And I've entrusted you with this precious ministry, this precious mission of reconciliation. Matthew 28 says it this way. Just think about this. This has just always kind of baffled me. Jesus' mission for the disciples And Matthew 18 was, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what they were told to do. That was their mission. Hey, guys, go make disciples of the nations. I want you to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I love that part. It's like, it's not like a commander sending troops out on mission and like, I hope I get to see you guys again. Jesus is like, no, I'm going with you. Actually, you're going with me. Here's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be making disciples of the nations. And here's the here's the the shift. Who was he talking to? His disciples. And he told them to do what? Make disciples. What are those new disciples? What's their mission going to be? To make disciples. Like this is God's plan to reconcile the world to himself. Like, mean, think about that. I had a just an unexpected um, encounter last night, and I'll share this to wrap up and, and kind of land it today. Um, there's a gentleman stopped by my house talking about unrelated things, and through it all, um, he started sharing his story of salvation with me, and I've known this guy for a long time. I uh, used to go to church here years ago, 20-something years ago, so I just know of him. Uh, his father-in-law is one of our elders, and, uh, and this guy was raised in um, the Jewish tradition, and very, very faithful, like active Jewish tradition, and And then somewhere in the mid-90s, he started dating a Christian girl, and she started inviting him to church, and he was like, nah, I don't think I can do all that, that feels more like a cult, and I'll be going against everything I was raised, and then he's like, hey, and then in August of 1996, it was when Solid Rock Baptist Church became Solid Rock, it was the first Sunday, and like everybody was joining the church, and he's like, I came because my girlfriend was there, and she was going to join the church, and they weren't even engaged yet. He's like, I'm just sitting there. And we get to like the, the altar call. And what was happening is the church didn't even have a pastor at the time. People were coming in and kind of preaching. And, and then after the, the preacher would leave, one of the deacons would get up and like kind of give a response time. And this Sunday, it was Ken Forsyth, one of our elders. And, uh, and so he's like, man, I'll never, I'll never re- forget how God worked in that service. He's like, man, I was sitting there and God was telling me, trust me. And I kept saying, God, I can't trust you. And he's like, I, I didn't know what God was up to. And he's like, man, I just, everybody was like responding. And he's like, it was just all weird. We don't do that in the synagogue. And like, this is just all, and he's like, and then God kept saying, hey, trust me. Hey, trust me. So he ends up having this supernatural salvation experience and goes down and gives his life to Christ. His life's radically transformed. But he's like, the thing that happened though is this guy named Ken got up who I didn't know. And he gets up and says, hey, we're not leaving because I believe God's telling me that somebody in here is hearing God say, trust me, and they're not trusting him. He's like, it's just like, the, like you'd see on the, the TV kind of thing. And, uh, and I talked to Ken this morning and verified it. He goes, I know it's so unlike me, but like, I just, God was telling me, trust me, get up and say this. And while God was speaking the same thing to this guy, God radically saved um, this, this guy. And he's been a faithful believer ever since. Excited, he was just as excited about his relationship with Jesus last night as he was day one. And he was just like, man, I just thank God for how God used Ken Forsyth in that process. And it's like, God didn't need Ken. But he chose to use Ken. And if you know Ken's story and the, those who led Ken to Christ, God didn't need those men to show up at Ken's house and knock on the door, but he chose to use them. That's what is being expressed here. You are an ambassador. God doesn't need you, he's choosing you. There's somebody in your world That God wants you to be an ambassador for and here's the thing we're not spending a lot of time today on the how and we're gonna actually do a whole series on this in the fall but I would just say this as I contemplated okay there's the what's what we're supposed to be doing how do you do that because like that's intimidating isn't it I don't know if I'll have all the right words right? and how to start the conversation here's the thing I was thinking about this week God just made it simple for me and he's like hey Jason do you remember um how you shared with your friends and family that you and Hallie were engaged I was like, yeah, I was excited and I called people and when I run into somebody at the grocery store, I go, oh, by the way, I'm I'm engaged. And like, I was excited about it, so I told people. Okay, this takes us back to where we started. It's the love of Christ that compels us. So like, if you're struggling today to say, yeah, I don't know if I'm living my life on mission. I don't know if I'm doing enough for God. Like, hey, I'm not calling you to work harder. I'm inviting you to revisit the love of Christ. That's where it starts. You first. And out of that then, we become ambassadors to go and tell. And so like if you're you're thinking about what that could look like in your life this week, I don't know, how do you share other exciting news? Post it on Facebook, make a phone call, set up a coffee, run into somebody and just talk about how excited you are that the love of Jesus has met you. His goodness has washed over you. He has reconciled you in a relationship with him and he has now called you to do that for others. I want to land with a few questions for us to think about here before the band comes out. So I want you to think about this. What does it mean that you have been reconciled to a place of undeserved favor with God? What does that mean? And also, what does that mean to you? God has reconciled you to an undeserved position of favor with him. Maybe what I just said a few minutes ago landed on you. Right now, how motivated are you to live your life for the the mission of Jesus? Some of you are like, dude, that's priority number one. But others of us are like, man, I haven't even thought about that. How motivated are you? How moved are you? How compelled are you? Maybe this morning, you just need to revisit the love of Christ and just how amazing it is that God would love you and forgive you and call you and invite you. Think about your interactions with other believers. Do you interact with other believers according to their identity in Christ or do you still regard one another according to the flesh? Are you still paying attention to and emphasizing what's still broken and wrong with that person, or are you able to see them through the supernatural lens of the gospel reality that they are a new creation? Maybe starting first in your marriage, and then other relationships in the church. What does this tell you about evangelism, knowing that God refers to our mission in the world as the ministry of reconciliation? We're not out converting people to a religion. We're inviting them into a relationship. And then last, just what practical step or steps could you take this week to live this mission in your everyday life, giving away to others what Jesus has so graciously graciously given to you? Think about the woman at the well. If you know the rest of the story, she didn't get like a, a mission plan. Just in her joy and excitement, she went back to Samaria. She told everybody, come, come meet this one. He told me everything about my life. Come, come meet this one. And so maybe you and I would go out into the world that excited this week. That would compel us to live the mission in our everyday lives. So we're going to pray together, and, and we'll have our prayer partners at the front. Something's stirring in you. You'd love to just have somebody else pray for you. If you're sitting there, you, I want that, but then I'm afraid to get up. Like, hey, you're worth it. Come let them pray for you. They would love to pray for you. Okay, you're worth their time. If you've got a question about the church or something that God's speaking to you, um, our elders will be available after the service. If you're new here, we ask all the elders to wear a lanyard so you can kind of easily identify us, but we'll be out in the commons. Just be honored to hear about what God's doing in your life. Somebody came up to me between services, like, I'll tell you what God's doing in my life. 64 years old. I got saved last Sunday. (sighs) Give me a big hug, man. I'm gonna be baptized. I'm like, yes, yes. That may be what you want to share. Or maybe you've got a question. Maybe you're wrestling with something. Please come find us out, out in the commons area. So I'm going to pray and then our worship team is going to come up and lead us to sing. If you want to stay seated, you can. If you're praying, you just want to do that, you can do that. Let's respond to God now. Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder of, God, what it means to be reconciled to you. God, before we even think about living the mission to help others, it's so important that we first have experienced your goodness and your kindness, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, your love. When we do those things for others, Father, it's, it's just an overflow of what we've already received from you. Father, thank you that the love of Christ does compel us, it constrains us, it moves us. What an honor, God, that you've entrusted us. God is fallible, And weak as we are, God, you see us as a new creation. You've entrusted to us this precious ministry. Father, now I just pray if there's anybody here who has not come to you for the first time to be reconciled, God, through Christ, that today would be that day of salvation that you The good Father would invite them. If they need to grab a prayer partner or an elder, God, just move them right now. Father, to place their trust and their faith in Jesus and Him alone. It's through Him and Him alone that we are reconciled, God. So Lord Jesus, we pray this in your precious and your powerful name.